I am dyslexic and um, I've only recently since connecting with others from BP viewed my dyslexia as a difference and not a deficit and I now see that some positive attributes that I have that they're due to my dyslexia and this is something that I'd never associated the difference before. This is Life at BP. Conversations with inspiring people with inspiring stories. Conversation about their life at BP and beyond. What do Michael Jordan, Justin Timberlake, Elon Musk, Greta Thunberg, Richard Branson and James Dyson have in common other than being public figures? They are all neurodivergent. Neurodiversity is a concept where neurological differences are to be recognized and respected as any other human variation. These differences could include those labeled with dyspraxia, dyslexia, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, dyscalculia, autism spectrum, Tourette syndrome, among others. People like Elon Musk and James Dyson are great at what they do because they are neurologically different, not despite it. Neurodiversity is starting to be recognized as a huge competitive advantage by many organizations. But workplaces and society as a whole have a long way to go in understanding, accommodating and nurturing neurodivergent talent. It is estimated that one in seven people, which is around 15% of the population, are neurodivergent. A recent report indicated that almost three quarters of neurodivergent workers do not disclose their condition because of fear of discrimination. Ignorance and stigma attached to conditions like autism spectrum in certain cultures even hinder many families from getting a diagnosis or participating in any research or studies. So many individuals are undiagnosed and so won't have the tools to advocate for themselves during challenging times. I'm Prathibara Kesami, your host for the Life at BP podcast. And in this special episode, I had the privilege of talking to my amazing colleagues, Nicola Rees, Anthony Bodanovich, and Catherine Dacom, who are all part of BP's neurodiversity group. Nicola and Anthony are both neurodivergent, and Catherine is mum to the incredible Thibault, who is on the autism spectrum. They have all made it their purpose to create awareness and educate the world about neurodiversity and the superpowers this group of talent can bring to the world of work. I started off by asking them to introduce themselves. I'm Anthony Bodanovich. I'm a senior customer service representative. I'm joining you from Budapest, Hungary. Welcome, Anthony. Catherine? So my name is Catherine Descon. I'm joining from Houston, USA, Texas. And I work in our BP Wind Energy business. I am a business manager. And hi, my name's Nicola Reese, and I'm a reservoir engineer that is mainly lab-based. And I am joining from West London, and I'm normally based at the BP Sunbury campus. Great. So I'm really interested in finding out why um, is it important for you to talk about neurodiversity? Catherine, do you want to start? My personal connection to neurodiversity began seven years ago when my son, Thibaut, who is now 10, was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. At the time, we were very lucky. We were living in in Brunei and 
we started to notice a few things that were unusual about his behavior and communication. And there were no resources at all in Brunei for us to work with. So we had to go to Singapore to have him diagnosed. And then our journey has sort of continued over the last seven years um, since his diagnosis. And actually, we made a decision to leave Brunei because there were no resources there at all from a, a, a medical perspective, but also from an education perspective. So we made a conscious decision to move to Houston, where there have been uh, brilliant resources for our son. So that's my personal connection. And that pretty much explains my purpose and my passion. So my my passion and purpose is all about inclusion. And I was able to bring that into BP. And I'm co-leading the neurodiversity group in BP. And so I'm channeling my personal passion into professional passion. Great. And and I'm pretty sure we'll go deep into that uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Um, Nicola? Sure. My personal experience is that I fall into the neurodiversity category because I am dyslexic and um, I've only recently since connecting with others from BP viewed my dyslexia as a difference and not a deficit and I now see that some positive attributes I have that they're due to my dyslexia and this is something that I'd never associated the difference before so um, I'd never have had this opinion if it wasn't for the amazing neurodiverse people that I've met through BP and um, my personal motivation is that when when people talk about neurodiversity so when people talk about autism or dyslexia or ADHD or all the other terms that we have a lot of people hear these words and they associate with some negativities but I want to help raise awareness and have everyone see neurodiversity in its positive light and um, I also want to make it easier for my neurodiverse colleagues working at BP and helping everyone see the um, value that we can all bring and for me to be working on this podcast or I've given some presentations on neurodiversity awareness, it's all way out my comfort zone, but it's something that I'm really passionate about. Like Catherine says, this far outweighs how uncomfortable I feel doing this. So I'm doing this for all my neurodiverse friends out there that would benefit from people being just a tiny bit more educated in neurodiversity awareness and the positives that neurodiversity brings. Thank you, Nicola. It's a complete privilege to have you and I and I appreciate this is not easy. So it's even more, even more uh, of an honor to have you. Um, Anthony? Okay, so uh, with me, I have Asperger's. So that is part of the autism spectrum. I'm one of uh, those Asperger's who are more open and uh, extrovert, I mean super extrovert, than introverts. So I don't close into myself. Uh, I was diagnosed at the age of 16 or 15, something like that. It was, high, it was first or second year of high school. And um, at first, I was, of course, just keeping to myself, every, just, you know, in my close family group. Oh, it was just, oh, Anthony's got Asperger's, he's just different. 
And then I started realizing that it actually, you know, that it is actually something not just, oh, I am odd. I'm the odd one. I'm a bit loony, as I say, in that side, because that was pushed that way. I realized that it's actually something that's not like a negative bad. This is actually good. I've got very good traits, and I started discovering them more. And I came out publicly in Poland because I was living at the time in Poland. I was born in the UK, but I moved at the age of nine to Poland. And I, as working as a journalist, I came out saying, I've got Asperger's. I don't see anything wrong with that. So suddenly I brought the whole topic of Asperger's to a national level in Poland where I was invited to get uh, to breakfast TV show where I spoke about my condition. And I realized after getting bombarded for about three or four years by messages because it was national TV, it was like the first thing that people would Google would be actually uh, when they, their kids would be diagnosed with Asperger's was actually me and my interview on TV. And I realized that there is a problem that people think of Asperger's as something negative. So my first step was starting my fan page, Jasperger, which is, ja is me in Polish and it's a play on words of Asperger's. But then I ended up moving to Budapest. And when I landed in BP, I noticed that my line manager didn't really get what I was talking about when I said I have Asperger's. So when I was asking questions about processes saying, why are we doing this process this and this way? She assumed that I didn't understand the process, but I did understand the process. I just didn't know, understand why that process was done this way, and I was trying to question it. So I ended up reaching out to Bernard, and I said, hey, what about this? There was just a quick reaction from me, but I got a response. And I ended up meeting the neurodiverse group, and I thought, mm, fantastic. And I think that this is a great thing that we can actually, at BP, evolve. And it's not only that we talk about, oh, we are neurodiverse, let's create a group and talk about um, how people can understand us. It's more like, how can we actually create a really nice environment in which actually we can use the skills of the neurodiverse people and to the benefit of BP. So this is, uh, this is how I, I'd say I ended up here. Great, great story. Um, and I think it seems like you've lived like many lives <laughs> Too many. Uh, by the time you have arrived to BP. So I think it's it's almost another episode, um, the adventures of Anthony. So Nicola, I know that Anthony just said that he was uh, diagnosed when he was 15 or 16. When, when, when was it then that you were diagnosed? So it was when I was at school, I was mm -hmm. referred for testing. So and obviously having this label put on you has helped me because, you know, I had extra time in my exams. I had access to software that really aided my learning when I went to university. But um, at school, I remember we were studying Shakespeare and we all had to go around the room and take it in turns to read out this passage of Shakespeare. And it got to me and um, I really struggled with reading these words out loud and I felt really embarrassed. And the teacher said, OK, fine, you don't have to read this out anymore, but made a big deal about how, you know, I was the only one that that couldn't read, couldn't read this out. Um, and there's a perception then that you get that if you struggle with reading or spelling, that you're just a bit stupid. Um, although I struggled, so I, I did struggle a lot with English, but I also really excelled at science. So I was really fortunate to have some amazing science teachers that encouraged me to study that further as opposed to English. <laughs> and Catherine, what were the, some of the things that were going on in your head? 
at the time when your son was diagnosed um, or even when you thought something was different, something, some things aren't quite um, right. Um, what was it like to kind of find out that you have a child who is on the autism spectrum? I think that there's a, a grieving period almost, like there's this grieving process that um, that I went through. I think when when it was officially confirmed, I was honestly devastated. Someone sent me this quote and it's, you plan your entire life booking a holiday to Italy. You want to go to Italy. That's your dream, right? And you you go out and buy guidebooks. You go and, you know, maybe learn a little Italian. You kind of set yourself up and, and you're, you know, so the day arrives when you come to go to Italy and you step on the plane and then um, you arrive in Holland. And this is nothing against Holland. I love Dutch people. And you're, 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 you ask the, the air stewards, I, I, this plane was supposed to go to Italy. And the air steward says, well, you're in Holland. There was a change in flight plan. And you are just completely thrown and devastated your your dream you, but but in all honesty you haven't come to a place that's filthy and dirty and and uncivilized and you know you, you, it's just a, a very different place and i mean i can't tell you how educated i got <laughs> I, I went out and bought all the guidebooks for holland and my husband was a huge part of that um my rock and he was hugely important uh, part of that process and he's really pragmatic he's an engineer so so uh, i think he was really really helpful and to be have a partner through that uh actually there's there's one thing that stuck in my mind so um when i was researching all the places we should go uh because we needed to leave brunei i i reached out to all over the world, Canada, Holland, Qatar, where we could continue to work in energy. And there's one lady, she didn't know me. She, she, she wrote me this letter and she said, and it still stands with me and it's what I say to everyone else that comes to me now, you're not alone. There are lots of people have gone through this and I have met so many people that I never would have met including the working group in BP and and that has fundamentally changed my life. Yeah, but I was devastated in the beginning. I can't even imagine what that, that must have been like. So thank you for sharing that. Moving into work, and this is probably specifically for Anthony and Nicola, and, and I want to really explore a scenario, situations, experiences that you find particularly difficult that perhaps your neurotypical colleagues take for granted okay i can i can start from the you know tip of my tongue then i'll say that it's emotions guessing guessing what people want sometimes because i can be told something and it might be friendly but because i do find it really hard with my uh, asperger's it, it means um I'm dis- I can use Nicola's dyslexia in a way because it's emotional dyslexia, so I don't read faces properly. I mean, I can guess sometimes. I've managed to learn over the years 
I can't tell what a smile looks like and stuff, but sometimes I can't tell whether somebody's being sarcastic or whether they're telling me off or not. So I sometimes get wound up in these stupid situations where I don't know whether somebody's getting at me. And I've had these situations uh, in previous jobs where, like, I I remember I just took the complete uh, wrong end of the stick and I could end up uh, having going into rage or something because I mean I've managed to work on my meltdowns over years but I remember many years ago I once had a meltdown at work where I got wound up because the rules weren't observed by one of the managers uh, what happened was at the TV station I was working at uh, you had to you had to declare when you were taking time off I put my declaration in on time with everything I actually gave a valid point that I actually need this weekend especially with like these days and stuff, I could um, off because my cousin's coming in from the UK. I hadn't seen her for six years. I gave a very good case, just you know, to have even more time off than less. I was given the night shifts that were the the two shifts that I didn't want. I was given it was like full punishment, and I just went. I just hit a gasket because I it just went off because. I blew it off completely because I just couldn't cope with the fact that the guy was, you know, he didn't follow the rules. And um, and instead of just like normally, just normal process of writing an email, sorry, look, I did this and this, I, I stormed straight into his office and said, look, what the hell do you think you're doing? Why did you do it this way? Why are you getting at me? I sent you everything by email and I slammed the door back. Next day, I found out that I was suspended for one month without pay. So it's it's about... Um, reading emotions. So let's say um, people in your workplace know that you have Asperger's and you have this difficulty, let's say, in, in processing that. Um, what would have helped in that situation? In general, and this is what I do like about BP, there are processes around. So even when there is, a say, an escalation of you know something that I've done, I know that I've got my back covered normally because it normally isn't me there normally is a process which actually shows that i am not in the wrong and i can defend myself so this is what i do like about certain companies when you have processes because this is what i do feel comfortable about if there's a process i'm comfortable if there are no rules i worked in a company where the boss was the owner and the rules would change every day so one day i do a presentation and it was perfectly fine but then overnight suddenly the concept changed in the boss and a sunny a fantastic presentation on Tuesday was Wednesday morning, the worst and uh, completely irrelevant. So yeah, it's those kind of things. Rules really do help me. Yeah. Rules and I think obeyed. it's really interesting because in the workplace, this is one thing that we take for granted. There are rules and then there's unwritten rules. Mm hmm. And there are lots of unwritten rules in a workplace. I think it's it's pretty overwhelming. Even for somebody who is neurotypical, it can be quite hard to really understand when you go into a team dynamic what these unwritten rules are. So I think what I'm hearing is, is almost like when you know in a team there is somebody who is on the Asperger spectrum, in the autism spectrum, mm -hmm. or somebody who is like Anthony, it's to almost minimize the unwritten rules and be very, very consistent in the process. It feels like that's what I'm hearing. Anthony, does yeah. that sound right? 
you, your spot is spot on actually the unwritten rules i hate them and i normally actually walk through them straight away like an elephant it's really interesting to know that that is something that we can all do very easily in a team to minimize that sort of stress um on on somebody who's got your your type of asperger's so let's mm-hmm. talk to um nicola about how dyslexia affects your day-to-day um life and particularly things that you find uh, difficult sure so um i sometimes struggle with spelling so working on a laptop is great because you've got spell checker and um, everything like that but if i needed to write on a flip chart or a whiteboard i might um i might make a few spelling mistakes as i tend to spell things phonetically i also lack a bit of confidence reading larger passages of text and it's only really as an adult that i've actually learned to enjoy reading books but when i have to read say a scientific paper so this is something that i do actually have to do for my job i have strategies that i use to make sure i get to the end and i've actually taken in the information but i also really wanted to say that And it's also, I think it's really important to say, because I know that a lot of other dyslexic people find this too, that um, I'm really self-critical of myself and I struggle with confidence. And it's because when you're at school and you're told you're not good at something because you struggle with, you know, for example, spelling, that stays with you. So um, now when I'm faced with learning something new I automatically think oh I can't do it um because that's what you're told as a child but I know that a lot of other dyslexic people struggle with this as well because our education system maybe back when I was at school wasn't really set up um that well for dyslexic learning and when you were to open up about being dyslexic at work did you have any concerns at all so I have worked in the same team since I've started BP around 14 years and um, I'm very comfortable with the people that I work with and I have a great line manager and he's always been really supportive and he's a great champion for DNI. So I felt really comfortable telling him quite early on in my career. It's not the first thing that I tell people about myself when I'm meeting new people and I wouldn't tell new people as I said because I've worked with these people for so long I do feel really comfortable talking about this sort of thing with them there's someone who I work with in the team and I'm quite close with them and um, they are also dyslexic and due to the stigma that they faced at school around their dyslexia they're only just opening up now because they feel like they can do so because of some of the awareness training that we've run recently so that's a really good positive Great. And I think, Anthony, your experience is very different from, you know, just what you've said. You've been very open about uh, your diagnosis. I've been so like uh, I realized this, that when I join a company or whatever, I do straight away open up about Asperger's because I think that I mean, I use it a bit like a shield. So it's like a protection thing. So say, look, guys, there's something wrong if I talk too much, uh, if I carry up, if I ask too many questions. It's only because I've got Asperger's and uh, if it gets on your nerves, just tell me because I won't notice that I'm chatting for too long. I won't notice that I, that I get carried away. Just tell me, look, Anthony, be quiet for a minute. I need to work or can we return to this later and I won't get offended. 
And I think it works because like um, I've had people who have come to me and actually told me about either that they themselves either think they are in the spectrum or they are or their kids are, but they don't want to disclose to other people in the company. I think it's probably because they still consider it as a stigma. But I think that being open about it and talking about it will only cause that it will become more normal. Mm-hmm. And because this isn't, you know, this is a condition. It's nothing unnormal about it. And that's what we need to do. I mean, 20 years ago, my parents didn't know anything. They just thought that there's something odd. And I was um, forced to spend hours staying quiet, for instance, in what my mum called the Trappist Monastery, because you've got the Trappist monks who are quiet. And my mum tried to stop me from talking too much by doing this exercise. Um, so I remember there were those kind of things. So I was banned from drinking Coca-Cola because my parents read somewhere that it might make me hyperactive. So those little things that I now, I'm now trying to draw awareness to, to make sure that the mistakes or what... I can't say they're mistakes, but the way my parents reacted towards me and the surroundings, then they're not repeated. And that drawing on my negative experiences, we can actually build, you know, work on it to make sure that they're not repeated. Absolutely. And I think, Catherine, it's fair to say that your son's diagnosis, like, moved you guys' continents, right? It completely changed the trajectory of you and your husband and the rest of the family. And I think there are lots of um, parents, listeners, who are probably parents of um, kids who are um, diagnosed with autism spectrum or any of the neurodiversity sort of areas of diagnosis that we are talking about here. Um, how does that impact your working life, being a mother or parent to a child with autism spectrum disorder? Yeah, I would say that it's changed not just our physical location, but also me as a person. And 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 actually, it's completely changed my career trajectory too. Yeah, as a working uh, a working mother. So Thibaut is in speech therapy. He's been in speech therapy from the beginning. And that's probably been the most impactful and beneficial support that, that he's had. And so he has regular speech therapy. A couple, I mean, now it's only an hour and a half a week, but at times it was four or five times a week. And, you know, you have to juggle. He goes to a, a, a school here in Houston that is um, specific for kids that are high functioning on the autism spectrum. So I have three kids and I had two wonderful girls. One keeps um, him sane, knows him in and out. They're like super close. And the other one makes him realize that the world isn't always going to be super nice. (laughs) And she's like bugging him all the time. He goes to a different school to them, right? So from the beginning, I've got extra things to juggle. I've got speech therapy to pick him up, to go and take him to speech therapy. I've got... It's just a layer of complexity uh, that exists, and and you become really good at organization and structure. Not because he loves structure, but in addition, you know, yeah, I have to structure my life to make sure that I don't drop all the balls in the air that you have as a, you know, even as a working parent of a neurotypical child, it's difficult. So, I I I would say. I think the the to your point around opening up and and disclosing. So I am neurotypical. So, but I have been very 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 open 
from the beginning about Thibaut um, being autistic. And that has been hugely impactful because what it's allowed um, uh, other people to do, other parents, is to reach out to me. Uh, just last night, someone put me in touch with someone at BP who's just discovered that their child is on the autism spectrum and needed someone to talk to. So last night I was talking to this lady. So uh, people have reached out to me in BP. Parents have reached out. Some have chosen to keep it private, um, but talk to me. And others have joined our group, our neurodiversity working group. It's giving people the permission to 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 come and be open. And, and I think that's been hugely rewarding for me in a way um, because I've opened up. So I fully encourage people to be open about it because my line manager is aware. So I have the support to go out for the afternoon and take him to the speech therapy session. Or I think making uh, making your line aware kind of provides that support um, structure as well um, that you need. You know, you need a community. Mm-hmm. As a working mom, you need a community mm-hmm. and and you need that community to include your line because I think then you, you you don't have the additional worry about how it's going to be perceived. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about what you guys are brilliant at, Nicola and Anthony and potentially Thibault um, as well, because I think we can focus a lot on what you struggle with. And I appreciate that I started off with that, but I think there are lots of things that you are so much better at than uh, others. So, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a long list as well. But if you can, like, focus on two or three things that um, comes very easily to you compared to your neurotypical colleagues, I would love to hear that. Um, so having only recently found out that, you know, I have positive attributes that are down to my dyslexia. So I... Um, I'm quite thorough and I quite like detail and I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Um, so this is great because part of my job is carrying out really accurate scientific experiments. So this is really good for what I do as a job. And although I'm not that great at spelling, I'm I'm good at writing and um, writing to the point and trying to use as fewer words as possible, um, which is great for when I'm writing scientific or technical reports Um, and I also really enjoy problem solving so that's another skill that I utilize as part of my job as well. I need to come to Nicola then on the writing piece. I I really struggle with being concise and and writing. I need to come to you I think. I'm not very good at writing you know a long essay with flowery language. I'm just I can do like a bullet point list and well, that's, that's what we need which is it's good for that is like my lab books they're all like scientific writing I can do that I'm just not writing a novel I can't write a novel but I can write you a lab book so that's my positive I'd say think about my uh super skills as you could put them uh I was I actually think about it then I guess it's uh the thing that I can actually think of something like a whole process so uh, we can sit in the room and we can talk about some idea that we're doing i can come up with a solution straight away but also how it's supposed to be done from a to z in just like this so when somebody has to think about the pros and cons i can already say what the cons are what are the threats of this idea and what are the pros and this is all 
it happens in the blink of a second where people are like going, wow, how did you come up with this? And I said, well, you know, it's, for me, it was obvious. So I've got these kind of things. And I've actually had this in the past when I was working in uh, marketing and stuff that I could come up with a concept kind of straight away at the table where when we'd come in with a perfectly present, uh, perfect presentation, but the ideas that were bought were the ones which I came up with at the table. So you're very quick at arriving at a process. Yes, I can create a whole process straight away. Just like that. It, it sounds strange. I also like this other thing that you said, Anthony, in our previous conversations, and I loved, loved how you phrase it, said, I don't see walls. I don't see any barriers. And I love mm -hmm. that because I think all of us want to be like that. But can you tell me a little bit about what that means in your like in terms of your day to day life? What does it, you know, seeing the world without any walls mean? It means that if I have an idea, then I want to and I, I come up with a eureka moment. It can be anything. Then I'll try to I'll, I'll see if I can get it to happen. And sometimes it doesn't happen. And of course, it, I fail at, uh, say, 90% of the time. But at the same time, I, I, will, I will push for something to happen. Like uh, recently, I started a, uh, my own podcast called Neurodiverse Talks, in which I want to build awareness. Now, just before recording, I uh, showed uh, Kathy about uh, an email I got from Scotland because I tried to contact Nicola Sturgeon. Scotland's first minister because I want to interview her because she is raising an autistic child. So I wanted to know how what it, it's like for politicians so I can actually reach out to those people. I've actually managed to as a journalist push for things because I was curious about something. So I just reached out and said, hey, can you tell me about this and this thing? So I'm not, I'm not scared to ask for things. And if I actually have an idea within BP, within the group, I don't mind reaching out to whoever the person is, no matter what position. And that's what I see, that I'm part of the company. And if I'd have my own company, I'd love somebody who was at a lower level to come to me and say, look, I've got this and this idea. And, if it, and uh, it could be a million dollar solution. Yeah. So, so I, here we are all like drowning in self-doubt and the email's already gone to Nicola Sturgeon. Like that's amazing, right? It's amazing because when you get older, like you lose this ability just to just go for it. And uh, that is, if anything is a superpower when you're an adult, that is, I think. So I, I needed, I needed you to talk about it. Catherine. Yeah, so so some of uh, what Nicola and Anthony have identified as super positive traits and, and features of their character exist at Tebow at a 10-year-old level as well. So deep, deep focus, like super concentration and, and freedom from distraction. So his latest love is history. And from the beginning, it was sharks, then it was pirates, then it was snakes, and now it's history. I mean, I, there was one point when I never thought he was going to be able to read, and now he's reading history chapter books. I mean, it's, it's a bit beyond my level even, but his, his ability to absorb and re retain facts, like he's a super excellent long-term memory and superior recall, like I do, way superior than I can ever uh, imagine. Like he's not savants, right? So he's not Rain Man. I think that's sort of sometimes people's assumption when they don't when you first tell them and and he isn't savants where he has this i mean extreme um intelligence and and ability but he he you know what i think is really important though about tebow and and we touched upon this 
is he's accepting of difference. So he doesn't have a view of people being different and he doesn't judge people for being different because he's different himself. And I think that's a really lovely way of, of being. Mm -hmm. I, I can, I can agree. Cause I tend to not, not see borders between people. Of course, you know, there's, you know, I will have my own personal responses. If somebody is a bit slow at answering to me or something, or they don't, they're not able to follow me up on something properly. So I do lose my temper inside I, I control it but but still I try to te treat everybody equally and I see that and I think that this is how I've managed to create a huge network of friends around the world I never looked at oh you know just keep to my own little group of people that the world is limited to this circle of friends there and that's the end of it I always actually was curious about meeting other people and talking to them and discovering them so yeah, right. and a, a cracking way of solving problems too. Like just like Nicola said, you know, complex problem solving. I've been blown away by some of the ways people have, <laughs> neurodiverse people, uh, folks have solved problems uh, uh, and, and impressed, yeah. It's probably worth touching on some of the myths that we have about neurodiversity, because I think, Catherine, you touched on this. You said, you know, once, as soon as you say somebody is autistic or Asperger's, they're like savant. So can we kind of maybe um, talk about some of the most common myths about um, neurodiversity? Do you want to take okay. that, Catherine? Yeah, where do I start? Okay, I, I think the myth that still exists is that autistic um, individuals don't have empathy. And I would argue that my son has way more empathy than anyone I know. And that's where it becomes so overwhelming for him that he shuts down. So he's the first to cry in movies, you know, it's sad parts. He's the tactile, he's, the, you know, kind of really touchy-feely with me and kind of, I love you. And, and that was a huge moment when he was able to, to say that. But um, I would argue that, yeah, he has a whole lot of empathy. And I think that's the, the common um, mistake that people, that people make. And the other thing that I've heard as well, like there's a bit of gray area that people find that, you know, when you're neurodiverse, that's not the same as having a mental health issue, mm -hmm. right? Those are two different things as well. Yeah. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about that difference? Well, I, I've actually often thought, especially coming from, I'd say, Poland in many ways, and East, Central Europe East, the level of like knowledge of this is normally that it is an illness, not a condition. So they often like say, oh, you know, you could you could take medicine or pills and like it will disappear. I've found books where they said how to cure autism. But on the same side, there are a lot of negative situations in life. I've had many times where I've seen kids bullied at school. So it is a lot of trauma that people who are neurodiverse go through. And I think it's just acknowledging this and finding a way to uh, improve it. Anthony raises a really good point, is the challenge that neurodiverse people go through bullying at school, you know, being picked on, um, not being able to read, you know, text in the class and then being bullied for that uh, right up to adulthood, because I'm, I'm not going to lie, this is a really hard one for me, but the, the autism is linked to greatly increased risk of suicidal behavior. 
mm. and that is a mental um, uh, issue, right? And so um, it is something that I'm aware of. Uh, the, and th I think that's the biggest sort of concern or worry for me in 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 how you know Tebow develops, and and what drives me to to champion neurodiversity in BP is to make sure that um, mentally they are supported as best we can. Yeah. So even though it's not a mental health issue, a lot of neuro neurodiverse people ha end up with mental health issues yeah. because the world. Um, is not that great in in accommodating them in valuing what they have to offer. So it they're linked. They're not the same, but one tends to follow the other, right? Because exactly. of the way, because of their lived experience, which is which is really important to acknowledge. Um, let's talk about um, BP's journey in this space. And I know that we're on a journey within BP. You guys have a wonderful group that is really building awareness, educating people. I'm really key to get a sense of um, if we were to create in an ideal world an amazing workplace that not just accommodates for neurodiverse talent, but just values, celebrates them, what are the first things that we need to get right? So um, for me, it's a lot around awareness. And um, I know we've mentioned it before, but we've presented some bite-sized training courses. And whenever we've presented them, we've always had so much um, positive feedback and it gives me courage to keep on presenting them when it's something I find really hard to do. But the feedback has just been amazing. Um, so awareness is definitely the first thing. And then secondly, I think having our senior leaders back neurodiversity and understand why it should be included in their workforce. So it's really important that all of our leaders go on some sort of inclusion training. So not just for this, for every aspect of DNI, um, just so that they can then speak really powerfully about why it's so important and why it needs to be included in the workplace. Because, you know, neurodivergence is really common, 15% of people and higher in some parts of BP, especially science and engineering. So, you know, most parts of BP are already really, really neurodiverse. Let's finish off, and I think I want to talk to Catherine, and I, and I, and I, I know that it's, it's a powerful thing for parents to have children who are on the spectrum or on neurodivergent. You know, looking back at the time and knowing what you know now over the last seven years, what are the few things that has really helped you, supported you um, in your journey of acceptance, of helping your son in this journey, um, anything that would be of use, use to other other listeners who are parents of um, kids who have autism or any any neurodiverse condition? I certainly felt like if I wasn't giving 110%, doing everything in my power to support Tebow, then I felt like I was failing as a parent. So I, I went out there, I read, I consumed every blog, every book. And actually in the end, on reflection, I didn't need to read 50,000 books actually what's helped me is the community i think i touched on that earlier is is finding and meeting people that you never normally would have crossed paths with like this working group i mean just we're a brilliant bunch of people and i can't tell you how impactful that's been on me as a person and me as a professional but and me as a mother um so i would say find out because you're not alone find find the people um find your people and you know, talk to them and ask 
And so from a practical perspective, speech therapy was kind of by far the best for Thibaut. Um, he's eloquent. It's now he's working on sort of pragmatic speech and his ability to reciprocate and have a conversation and know when to speak and to talk about something other than what he wants to talk about. So from a practical perspective, I'd say speech therapy has been sort of the most effective for him. Uh, but it's really community and, and kind of be open, you know, open yourself up. Don't keep it all in uh, and, and share. And I think educate yourself that way. That's amazing, Catherine, to hear your stories and Anthony as well. Just amazing to hear more. And I just I the, the people that I've met through the neurodiversity group I've written it to everyone in a in our team message I just you know there's things that there's things that you've given me the confidence to do and like I don't mind I'm the person who would not speak up at a meeting at all I'm like the quietest person in the room and in our meetings I feel like I can speak because no one's judging me for saying something that is a bit silly or you know it's just no, like hard. even even nicola you've actually even opened up you've like even taken over running meetings so i know <laughs> although sometimes i'm not very good at running meetings but you're good, this is, you're good. oh thank you but thank you i need to believe <laughs> this great well guys thank you so so much for coming on sharing your experience so honestly and um, I've learned a lot over the last hour and I hope that, you know, it really helps people out that I'm pretty sure it will. But thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.